Welcome to the Lee Company Thrive Podcast. I am your chaplain at Lee Company, Kyle Froman, and I'm grateful that you chose to join us for Thrive this week. Over the past few months this spring, our modest home has played host to three separate families of six. Now, this is in addition to our own family of four. I know you're thinking one of two things right now. One is, man, the Fromans sure are generous. And the other is, whew, those are some tight quarters. But the reality is, is that neither of those statements are entirely true. You see, the three families that our home has played host to this spring have been of the feathered type. They've been bird families. Late last year, my wife hung this beautiful wreath on our front door, and on it had a sign that said, To all who come to this happy place, welcome. And we hung it on the front door, and and this wreath that has been hanging there on the front door has become a bit of a revolving door or condominium of sorts for growing bird families. The first family that moved in behind the sign was a pretty decent family. At first, we found kind of a lot of joy in it that behind the sign that said, to all who come to this happy place, welcome, a nest was being made, and that really the Froman family was welcoming the bird family to the neighborhood. And in the beginning, Mama kept the nest pretty tidy. She sang to us and her five eggs each day through the front door, and it wasn't long until those babies started hatching. We all kind of watched with wonder the whole process, watched Mama preparing a place to lay her eggs, and then we were all excited when we saw the five eggs in the nest. And then when the babies came, man, it was really fun to watch first these little alien-looking creatures that feathers began to grow on, and before long, they they look like full-grown birds ready to rule the neighborhood. Wasn't long before this first family flew the coop, quite literally, but there wasn't a vacancy for long, as another family had started to nest on top of the wreath. And as that second family was expanding the bird condominiums to a two-story duplex, a third family came and started nesting in the original nest again. So three families were cycling through our front door. Amidst the process of these two new families nesting on the front door, we had someone come and working on the back corner of our roof. Over the past few weeks, we'd begin hearing what sounded like a woodpecker going to town outside the house, and it turns out that woodpecker was indeed going to town on the back corner of our roof, and had done a nice number on the bottom shingles. I know what you're thinking right now. Man, the Froman family really has a bird problem in that neighborhood, and I guess that's what happens when you live on Hummingbird Lane. But we had one of the guys who was working on the addition out to the house, and as he was working on the back corner of our roof, the boys went out in the yard and were talking to him about the birds that were nesting on the front of the house. And as John and I were talking, he said, Kyle, I know that there's eggs in those nests already, 
but you really need to get rid of those things because you really don't want bird mites. He went on and said, I had bird mites in my home and it was an absolute nightmare to get them cleaned out. Uh, a lot of money and time and energy spent into restoring the house after these bird mites got in. And the bird mites got in by doing the same exact thing that we were doing, welcoming bird families to the front of the house to watch them nest and watch the process unfold. Kind of nodded my head. I, I heard what he was saying, but I'd never heard of a bird mite. And certainly our lovely neighbors at the front door didn't have bird mites. So I didn't pay it a lot of attention. John took care of the roof for us and took off, and we went back to check on the birds on the front door and continued to smile that we were getting to play host to these birds as they nested and began to grow their families. What was taking place on our front door was quite beautiful to us, and the risk that John spoke of was a bit irrelevant at that point in time. Well, the front door neighborhood slowly began to take a turn as more and more birds hatched. Before we could do anything about it, the wreath and the door were both covered in bird poo. They had made a mess of the front of our entryway. We tolerated it because it was still fun to watch the birds, but it was getting a bit close to crossing the line for me. I felt like the new tenants were taking a bit of advantage and the landlord was getting a bit restless with it. Then last week it happened. I came home from a day out running around visiting job sites and saw that the front door was covered in these super tiny bugs. These bugs were really hard to see individually. They were so small. But when you've got thousands of them together on a white door, they really stood out. Bird mites. And these bird mites didn't even know their boundaries. As soon as I saw them on the front door, I panicked. And I came in through the garage to check the other side of the front door. And sure enough, these were small enough that they had made their way around the seal and they were on the inside of our front door. And not only were they on the inside of our front door, they decided they wanted to join us in the living room, and we saw where they'd begin to trail around the walls in the living room, and it began to circle around the pictures that we had hanging on the walls. I went to town with two tools. One was a vacuum cleaner, trying to vacuum up as many of these mites as I could off of the door and walls, and the other was duct tape. My first line of defense was to seal off that door where nothing else could get in. In the past few days that followed after that were a nightmare of spray chemicals and bug foggers and even more duct tape and painter's tape trying to fight to liberate our home from these tiny little bird mites. Thankfully, we're winning the battle, but it has been crazy getting to that point. You see, we were made aware of the risk of letting those birds stay on our front door. John told us, you don't want these bird mites coming in and they're going to come from what you're watching. But the beauty and pleasure of what was happening, it enticed us to keep moving forward anyway. The beauty of watching the birds nest, the beauty of seeing the eggs hatch, of watching life happen in front of us, it all 
overshadowed the potential risk of what we were playing with, because we were indeed playing with fire. What looked so beautiful over the past two months ultimately created a wave of chaos in our lives. And I think we experience that in life quite a bit, don't we? While we know the risks that certain things have associated with them, sometimes it's the beauty of things that pull us into it. On the front end, it's usually something that isn't even inherently bad or inherently dangerous. It's something that's seemingly innocent. We see it with money. Innocent at first, but leading us down a road that leads to greed and selfishness and pride and deceit and more. On its own, it's simply a tool. It's what we do with it or what it does to us that ruins in the end. We see it happen with relationships, leading us ultimately down a road of misaligned worth and value, sometimes down a road of lust. Relationships that look beautiful in the beginning, but we know the danger that we're playing with within that relationship and pursue it anyway. We see it happen with alcohol. We see it happen with other substances. Things that lead us to addiction and dependence and tear us apart emotionally and physically and mentally. We see it with social media. We see it with food. We see it with sports. Really, you can insert anything into the equation. But sin tends to work like that in our lives. It entices us with beauty, but leaves us ravaged and destroyed in the end. Think back to the very beginning. How was Eve enticed? By an apple. Satan enticed her with something that was seemingly beautiful. An apple. Now, For me, that might not have worked unless that apple was dipped in caramel and drizzled with chocolate. But an apple wasn't inherently bad. It was innocent. An apple's pleasurable, yet it was destructive because it was what was veiled behind the fruit that ultimately destroyed. I want to read to you what was written of Moses in the book of Hebrews. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. The second half of verse 25 really stands out to me. Sin does have pleasure. See, Moses had an opportunity to be a part of the royal family. To be the son of Pharaoh's daughter is to be the grandson of Pharaoh, of the most powerful man in Egypt. Moses would have had then at his disposal all of the treasures of Egypt. He could have had the entire world at his fingertips. But those pleasures, those desires, the access to all of it, they were fleeting pleasures of sin. Sure, they looked glitzy and glamorous on the shell, but there was a worm in that apple if he would have bit into it. He knew once in them they would lead to destruction the destruction that 
sin leads to in our own lives. Yet instead, it read that Moses chose to be mistreated among the people of God, rather to enjoy those pleasures of sin. Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. How did he do that? We saw it right there in the beginning of verse 24, by faith. By faith, Moses refused. By faith, Moses chose the way of God. And by faith, Moses regarded Christ. Why? We saw it at the tail end because he was looking to the reward. He was looking to God's reward. He knew that the reward was greater than being part of the royal family, that what God had was much higher than finding himself in the lineage of Pharaoh. He knew that the reward was greater than having all the pleasures he could ever desire. He knew the reward was greater than all the treasures in Egypt. He wasn't willing to sacrifice for something that externally appeared beautiful because he recognized and understood the destruction that those things could lead to. The birds on our porch, they enticed us despite the danger, and we're paying the consequences of our temporal pleasure. It's been a lesson we all live out every day in our lives, unfortunately. Paul wrote that it's those things he knows he shouldn't do that he finds himself doing, and the things that he knows he should do he can't do. It's the wrestle of all of our flesh. It's your story, and it's my story. But may we learn to operate, as Moses did, in faith. Instead of setting our eyes on the temporal pleasure that these things have for us, setting our eyes on the eternal reward, recognizing how much greater it is than the temporary pleasures in front of us. May we look at the pleasures of this life through a different lens, helping us to have the strength to say by faith in our own lives too, refusing, choosing, and regarding God as more. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And then Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. 
My prayer for you this week and my prayer for myself this week is that we wouldn't be lured by the temporal beauty, but that our eyes would be focused on the reward so that by faith we can persevere through. Pray you have an incredibly blessed week this week. Grace and peace.